Greetings, pair shorefans and retrogrades. Happy Wednesday. Today, Rules for Retrogrades presents something of a special episode. Fathers and Sons, as the Ivan Turgenev book was called, lo, those many years ago. It's about fathers and sons, particularly the prospect of Catholic fatherhood. And I would say, more accurately, the crisis of Catholic fatherhood. The, the crisis of absconding fathers, as Benedict XVI uh, named the problem shortly before the Holy Father absconded. Today with me uh, to discuss this problem, unpack it a little bit, are authors David and Stephen Arms. And I'm, I'm pleased to have you guys with me here today. David, Stephen, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so if, if people out there are scratching their heads they these are this is not a a um union of mans <laughs> that's not why they share the same last name they share the same last name uh uh surnominally by the usual passage the ordinary and beautiful natural passage you guys are a pair of a father and a son and we're going to talk about some of the things that you're out there talking about as we go through today, but I want to start out a little more broadly. There, I, I've been talking about this on a Catholic group chat a lot lately. The main problem in the world today, Benedict the Sixteenth says, is relativism. When you're speaking ideologically, when we're talking etiologically, for that mode of speaking, ideologically, meaning what's the cause of the problem, he says it is absconding fathers. What do you guys say? David, you're the father here. Is Benedict on to something? Was Benedict on to something before he absconded? <laughs> yeah, I believe so. If you look at, um, you know, so many of our problems in society could be resolved if men, in particular young men, just stepped up to the plate and took responsibility for their actions, you know, possibly not made dumb decisions in the first place and maybe had a little mentorship uh, uh, previous to that so that they, they could have that advantage. Um, we would, you know, we, we would not have the problem of unplanned pregnancies and what to do with that. Um, and if there is an unplanned pregnancy, let's step up to the plate and, and take responsibility and, and give the woman a real choice. Um, you know, and there's just lots of other examples we could, we could go through, but how long is your show? Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so accurate, the designation that, that Benedict made of the problem, that it's almost endlessly exampled. But I, I want to I talk, Stephen, with, before I would make a distinction, though. The problem uh, that, that has really generated, I mean, there's all, in some sense, it's a little bit like um, an infinite regression, or it, it can threaten to seem like an infinite regression we seek to find social ills and the causes of social ills, because there is a problem underneath the fatherhood problem. And it's namely feminism. I talk about this at, at uh, no short length in my third book, the case for patriarchy and feminism afflicted men and it afflicted women. And it, it is, I think the Genesis of the problem that Benedict's talking about. It afflicted men through effeminizing them and effeminizing their morals uh, feminizing their bodies. A doctor's report, the lowest testosterone count ever on record um, just this decade. Stephen, do you see a feminacy? And you're about a half generation younger than me. Do you see a feminacy everywhere with fellow 30-ish year olds? Because it's everywhere with dudes my age, around 40. Yeah, I'm 31. <clears throat> I do think that a lot of men in my generation are a little bit more feminine than the generation above. I think that that's the trend that society has been going. Um, you look at the average age that a man gets married now, you know, they're, they're delaying it. Um, they're delaying the sacrament of marriage and having the responsibility of raising a family. They're having fewer children. Um, but then you just look at like the way that we work, right? Um, the jobs that we have, we, you know, work at home and work in our pajamas. 
and sleep in till eight o'clock. Whereas my grandfather's generation, you know, he was a cop. He had, by the time he was 28, he had four kids and was a police officer in San Francisco. You know, that is a much different reality than what my generation goes through. You know, we're, we're definitely a softer generation. That's, there's no arguing that. I'm wearing pajama pants right now. I'm sleeping in wearing pajama pants as you're describing it. So yeah, no, no, but doubtlessly um, half of that's a joke, but um, yeah, I mean, look, here's the thing. Like, I don't know. It's funny. Cause I'll talk about every once in a while, just every once in a while, I'll make um, a popular culture reference. And, you know, I have this whole thing live in the world, but not of the world. And, you know, it comes from Jesus and some some of my folks, not too many, but the retrogrades and the parish orphans out there, they, they genuinely get it. But um, when I talk about Stranger Things, a lot of people are like, man, this is just an amazing show, particularly season one's a work of fine art. Uh, but but some people will purity spiral and LARP out and say like, well, you know, should, should you never watch anything that's not uh, about the Bible or anything with the, an evil exec from Hollywood uh, who's very anti-Catholic. And I just say like, no, I mean, it's simply not possible to do. Usually they write me an email or a text complaining and it's, they're using Google or <laughs> Facebook or Instagram to complain to me. It, it just reflects not getting the larger constellation of things. But the reason I bring it up is because Stranger Things, particularly season one, which is what I really admire, is a tale about absconding fathers. There is not one character. There is not one character with a biological father that does it the beautiful natural way, the way we're going to be talking about when we get to specifics about your book. They are literally there by the end, by season four. Now there are basically two male leads who play a role of father surrogate in the lives of younger men. And it's beautiful. But there, are, without exception, there are zero beautiful biological fathers. I don't, I don't mean like really handsome men. I mean beautifully exampled biological fathers. Well, there are a couple good biological mothers, like Joyce Byers, in some ways, one of the main characters. Um, and in some ways, because I, I hate feminism, I hate everything about it. I hate the idea that we, you know, society's main cardinal rule, which is never, ever, ever say anything negative about women, always defer to deflecting some sort of female vice onto a male, which I don't follow. That's not what today's show is all about. But in a, in a very real sense, I say, I mean, art is about the culture which gave birth to it. And our cultural situation, as Benedict says, is about fatherlessness and, and about absconding fathers and about the whole sidetrack I mean, it is a sidetrack of men in our generation and a generation above me, uh, half a gen you know, full generation below us, uh, Stephen, taking time out that men never had to take time out before to get some sort of surrogate father figure. Doesn't have to be, you know, actually fathered by him, but they have to find one just to get an example. And this is like a vision quest or something ridiculous. It's like, you have to go do it. And this at the very least is causing men to mature much later. I think, I think that has to do with the crippling arrest, arrested development where men aren't considered men till they're used to be 35. Now it's like 55 soon. It's going to be 85. You know, you're an adolescent until you're 85. I think it's because they're having to Part of it is they're having to literally go and find a surrogate father because there are no good examples, or almost no good examples of biological fathers. So does this make sense to you guys, how, how outlier your relationship is? You've authored a book together, and it's a beautiful Catholic, very Catholic book. Um, we'll talk about it in a few minutes. Do, do you guys understand what outliers you are, even qua the, the art or the culture? You know, Tim, even just... Um... When I started my career, I was I was younger than Steve, about in, in my early 20s, and I was working with these old guys that were in their 40s. And as we progressed through our careers, I was noticing something, not that they were really doing anything starkly wrong. It's just these guys were like Vietnam era guys. 
So they had been through hard times. These guys were strong men and they, they provided for their families. They were doing the right things. But a trend that I was noticing is, is that these guys had sons that were living at home. They're still 30, 35, 40 years old. And I'm thinking, and these guys are not doing their sons any favors here. Uh, they, they need to get out on their own and, and see what it is to be a man <laughs> before they turn 40. So <laughs> hopefully yeah. no, or not, but I mean, the thing is <laughs> though, hopefully for real, the thing is um, David. Yeah. Like people will say, yeah, man, you know, men are so emasculated now. Fathers are so invisible now or just gone that um, we need to get back to the, 40s and 50s you know great shot I, I always say no 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 that's that's see that's not actually right that's and you're, you're pointing it out here that's the white anglo-saxon protestant perversion of things where it was like oh you know it, it, that enabled that false version of masculinity i think enabled the smelly stinky hippies to revolt against something you know the the best ideal of fatherhood is not a dad doing one of the four tasks of fatherhood, the easiest and the least important, which is providing, provide, teach, uh, provide, teach, protect, bring the gospel going up. And it's funny because there's a part in stranger things where Hopper literally says, I protect, I feed, I teach, which is precisely uh, out of the book, father Elijah, which I'm doing a read through with people, except with the, the fourth prong shaved off to bring the gospel, to be the priest of the household and to evangelize the kid. So I, it's a longer story, but isn't there, Stephen, a false Americanist version of the way we never were, which is to say, oh, these, the greatest generation. I, don't, I, I disagree with that title, right? <laughs> but this was like men coming home, you know, they're grumpy to everyone. You know, I'm going to watch my black and white television. I'm going to eat alone in front of the TV. I'm going to yell at you if you spill your milk and maybe like launch you out the window if you spill your milk. And everyone goes to bed at like 645 in terror from the tyrant dad. And, you know, they didn't take crap from their kids. That I, that's not what we're talking about here, is it, Stephen? This isn't what you're talking about as to motivate the, the propositions you motivate in your in your book no i mean um you, you know there there is you know to be a provider as a man that does not just mean being a uh a physical provider you know it doesn't just mean bringing home the bacon and bringing home a paycheck it, it also means being an emotional provider you know um being able to to communicate with your wife. You know, if a man enters into marriage with his wife and he's not a good communicator, that marriage is not going to go very well. So right. being a provider doesn't just mean physical, but it means being an emotional provider as well. Um, and I think the example that you gave of men, you know, the stereotype is previous generations, but it happens today too, where a man comes home, he's had a long day of work. Um, he sits on his sofa chair, watches TV for two hours. Um, I think that is one reason, like you said, that um, the generation that lived through that rebelled from it, you know? Um, so I, I think when we talk about virtuous manhood today, we need to be talking about, yes, we do need to be physical providers. We do need to be strong for our families we need to be able to fight and defend ourselves for sure. That's an element of being a man, but we do need to be emotional providers for our wife and for our children as well. And we need to be good communicators. That's a part of being a man. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's pause there. Everybody, everybody pause. I want to make the critique that that paltry insufficient model of manhood we're describing basically four four roles, right? Um, protect, provide, teach, or protect, feed, teach, to use Jim Hopper's words, plus evangelize, the highest one. Get your kid to heaven. This is four parts that are elements. They're not factors. The difference at law between an element and a factor is element, you have to have it. You don't get graded 
you know, on a curve, if you're missing one of the elements, you fail if you have one of the missing elements. Factor test, you might be a really strong one and barely have the second one and not the other two entirely, but you still pass muster. These are elements. And the most important ones are the ones that are the most uh, unduly lacking. So I would say that it's actually unmanly. It's unmanly to not be the good uh, community. This is more a man and wife thing to not be the caretaker of the relationship, uh, uh, man and wife. And that means you have to be the one that's like, things have been a a little bit more tense than usual. So I'm going to address it. That in our culture, that role falls in the pop culture to the the woman. And the woman's not good at doing that, right? It's always a fight every time. That's not in women's competency, but men are in our uh, epoch think that that's what the woman does no the man has to be like look i gotta address the bull by the horns here i'm the boss not you so it's actually unmanly to just let your wife address things now let's go to the other three of the tasks of fathers that have been woefully deficient for at least four generations in america as as all four generations that i've looked into are the, the most recent four to not spread the gospel to not protect and that does mean morally as well. Um, and to not teach these, they, all you're doing is providing or feeding. This is actually incredibly unmanly. It's not, it's not less manly to do more. The Christian model is the natural law with the little supernatural law sprinkled in. We, in most cases, David, I want to go back to you. What was, what's the image that comes down to us of the 19... 19- you know, late 1940s father coming home from work. It's that he's tired. That's always it, right? Ty exhausted. I bust my hump at work. It's suck it up, dude. You like men out there. What you need to understand is that marriage is a beautiful vocation, right? We don't have to be celibates to get to heaven the way clerics have to. So we're going to have to pay a little bit of extra tax, right? And the extra taxes. When you get home from a presumably seven, eight, nine hour shift, that's the beginning of your real work. Okay, great. So you did the very bottom tier of the four things that is your pass, your vocation to heaven. Great. You brought bread home. Whoopity do. There's so much more. Now you have to, you have to teach literally at the dinner table. You have to, you have to pray with your family, play with your family. You have to, you have to uh, bring the gospel to them. And if you're saying you don't have the time to do that when you get home because you're tired, this is very wimpy. This is like someone saying that he can't find the time to work out. You're literally cutting off the most important parts of your job because you're tired. But everyone else is like, well, that's just manly. That was a manly model we even got in the 40s and 50s. It's totally inverted, isn't it, David? Exactly. You know, and and that providing is not just, like you said, providing, you know, that's just one tier and it's not just financial or physical, but, you know, I think, and getting back to the, the wife, you know, this providing this team effort, a stability in the marriage that the children can observe and, and be secure in that. And I think, you know, exemplifying faith in the marriage with your wife, you know, make faith a vital component component of the marital relationship and make that obvious to the kids. Um, Explicit. Explicit. It should be totally explicit that that ev- and everything we do, it might not be explicit in the sense that Jesus doesn't come down from heaven like he does at the consecration all the time. But look, Jesus is driving all the good stuff that happens for this family. Sure. And, you know, one way you can do that is just have dedicated family prayer time, right? Not just before meals, but intentional times that uh, that you're going to pray with the family. And and even even as men, you know, it's, it's a good thing to let our kids witness our prayer life. You know, there's no reason that we have to uh, go in the closet and pray. Uh, we can have a holy place that we do our personal prayers and maybe they wake, wake up in the morning and walk by you and see you in prayer. I mean, that speaks to them in and of itself. Yeah, um, I, I want to ask you, David. Um, in, the, in these joint interviews, it's, it's everyone's nature to go back and forth, but I, I want to kind of snake because of the three of us, you're the only one that has successfully navigated raising teenagers. I'm, I'm at the beginning of it with just my eldest daughter. 
I got six uh, that are younger than teens, but you, you, you made it with the common complaint. This is another thing that comes from wasp culture. Sorry, sorry, wasps out there. You're getting beat up on today. You're used to it on this show, but um, um, it's this hatred. It comes from the American Puritan tradition, hatred for teens and teen habits. And I always stick up for teens because I, I, I work, you know, taught high school to teens and made in, incredibly close connections to, to the, some of them. Um, you know, I'm still friends today with several of the graduates. I just went to a, a wedding this past weekend, getting, getting these guys to, to marry young, marry in, in college or right out of high school if you, if you have a good girlfriend. But there's a, hate, a wasp hatred and mistrust for teens that is rampant in our culture. And it stems from like, this proposition that people suspect you of doing what they did. So they're all, all teens must be horny perverts. All teens must be scumbags that'll shiv you if they get the chance. All teens will whatever. A lot of it, st- and when you're like, no, no, teen, yeah, teens can be a little flaky sometimes, but they're passionate. They're intensely loyal. They're intensely loyal and passionate in ways that most adults have uh, shed. And I, I, that's, this is what I like about upper teen. I, don't, I wouldn't like hanging out with preteens much or middle school kids. But the problems of life get, become adult at about 16. And so I think the, the WASP model of parenting, even from the 40s and 50s, bears out a kind of um, mistrust for teens insofar as precisely when your offspring, parish orphans and retrogrades out there, Precisely when they are needing the most of your time, they're coming into their own 15, 16, they might need some three hour talks that cut into bedtime. This is something that I, I, I have a lot of experience with, right? Giving three hour talks at bedtime when I was 15, just needing, getting in, starting to get in street fights, probably needing real serious pep talks um, and, or moral talks or come to Jesus talks. But there's a resentment in the wasp culture for teens because they require more of a time. I got a, I got a, whatever that is, a 13 week old baby right over there. Everyone's like, oh, you're probably, that probably absorbed your whole summer taking care of the baby. They say this, especially to the wife. And it's like, well, yes. And no, you can also, when they fall asleep, you can dance around the freedom tree. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> it's all mechanical effort with teens. It becomes this moral and spiritual effort. Um, so isn't, shouldn't parents expect to be flushing more time in and especially fathers talking alone? There is a resentment in the wasp culture that's holdover from Calvinism when they, when the wasps really meant their religion. Um, and it's like, oh, well, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy and wise, you know, so just shut up everyone, go to bed and your problems will go away. I, 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 I think a lot of us experienced a lot of that. And it's like, no, sometimes you just have to make do with less sleep and you need the moral talk. What do you say, David? That's right. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, when we were doing some research on, on this book, that, um, you know, we, we looked at, at what other cultures had done in the past. And, you know, it turns out that, that that 13 year is kind of a sweet spot. That's pretty universal, that that's a time where, you know, they're transitioning out of boyhood, not really too sure where they're going, but still open to some counsel. I mean, by the time they get 16, 17, 18 years old, they pretty much know more than their parents, right? So we want to get to them when, when they're still um, influential. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so, so I was saying 15, and that's, that's off. Uh, you, you're, you guys say, I like this. I, I like this. Your, your book, by the way, I didn't want to uh, announce it too early. Sometimes people get dodgy then. It's called Milestone to Manhood, a Christian rite of passage to help your 13-year-old son make the leap from boyhood to manhood. And so you guys locate, uh, Stephen, 13 as this inflection point whereupon we should expect, and it's perfect. It's basically when someone becomes a teen, they're going to take up more of your time and, and, it's fun. It's funner in a way. It's it's there's a payoff, um, dividends being paid immediately because yes, a zero year old or a one year old or a two year old they might take less of your time 
once the baby gets weaned, that they're not taking any of your time at night. They just, you put them to bed and they're asleep. But the baby also for as little, uh, the toddler for as little of your energy as it takes up, there's less give back, right? Whereas with the 13 year old, yeah, they're getting difficult. The problems are difficult, but they actually can interact on an adult level. Now they've, they've been of, of seniority of age by Catholic reckoning since they were eight for five years. So it's high time we start treating them like young men right when they're 13 and they can give back. Is this, does this square with what you guys are arguing milestone to manhood, Stephen? I think it does. Um, we talk about how 13 years old is a milestone birthday. You know, they're officially becoming a teenager. And when we talk about um, a boy becoming a man and what that looks like in his life, um, it's probably better to initiate a boy into manhood a little bit too early than a little bit too late. Um, and what I mean by that is by the time a boy or a young man um, is 16, 17, 18 years old, he's probably made some decisions in his life um, that are uh, life altering, you know, um, where to go to college, who to date, um, these type of, you know, big questions. Um, and so what we talk about in the book is how uh, when, a, when a father bestows the title of man upon his son, it's it would be better to do that a little bit too early, you know, 13 years old, he might be a little bit immature. He might not understand what's going on. Um, he doesn't have a lot of wisdom or knowledge about how the world works, but having that title of man bestowed upon him is, it would be better to do it as a 13 year old and do it too early than it would be to do it at 18 years old and do it too late. Look, the, the left is always pushing this narrative that so-and-so's, they're, they're only a 15-year-old kid, you know, if there's an inner city uh, murder, you know, by a 15, 16-year-old, very, very common inner city thing, um, they'll say, oh, he's just a kid. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm a Roman Catholic. Um, I forget 13. This kid at seven to eight becomes capable of being sent to hell meaning they've attained moral majority sufficient to choose for God or against God radically, radically for God or against God. You can be at eight years old, you can be punished for all time by being sent to hell for making a decision. So I'm going to believe rather than the, uh, the, the news media, I'm going to believe my Christian teachings and I'm going to go with by eight, I need to start treating this person as a, as a getting ready to be an adult five years later, half a decade later by 13, it's perfectly appropriate to be talking about them as men. Now, as Aristotle says in book six of the Nicomachean ethics, they're going to have zero prudence. Prudence cannot be hastened. It's the intellectual virtue, but the moral virtues you've been inculcating for 13 years. I've met 13 year olds freshmen in high school that were loaded, loaded with the moral virtues already because they had good parents. Now it's, it's one in 20. I say it's about one in 20 that have good Catholic parents. There are no other religions that are going to avail you of all of the natural plus supernatural virtues. So it's one in 20, I'd say Catholics in our generation. Uh, this is as a teacher. This is a teacher's perspective that did it. And that you, you meet one kid out of every classroom that's like, wow, that kid's virtuous. Now, he doesn't have prudence yet because you can't hasten that. That's just time and instruction where you gain it. But um, moral virtue is gained by habituation, pure habituation. So you guys, David, you're talking about at 13, giving a what weekend long rite of, of passage. How does this work? That's right. So. On, on their 13th birthday, we um, plan, we have a weekend plan for them. And he only knows that he thinks that I'm going to be taking him away just one-on-one, -on -one, dad, son time. And Steve talks about that a little in the book. But uh, um, so we, we go on, we, we embark on this journey. And during the journey, we end up, in our case, picking up his maternal grandfather. Um, and just to pick something up for our trip and that, 
And then he says something about, wow, that's really awesome that your dad's doing this for you. I wish I could go. And so we invite him. Okay, come along with us. And he throws his duffel bag in and we start heading out to where we're going. And and we stop. We're, we're all hungry. We stop for breakfast. And and lo and behold, at the restaurant we stop at, well, his all his uncles happen to be there. You know? <laughs> and by this time, he started to figure out, okay, something's going on here. And that's when um, we kind of let the cat out of the bag and say, all right, this is what we're doing for you this weekend. We have this focused intentionality that we're, you know, we are here to recognize you that you're moving away from a boy into being a man. We want to share with you what that means to us, what our struggles had been, what our journey has been, and and how we, we want to accept you now as, as that status in our family. And we're, we're going to do certain um, rituals during this weekend that are going to help to solidify this in your in your conscience why is i have a couple thoughts that that are jumping off the page at me but one you guys both keep saying intentional why is intentionality such a uniquely masculine virtue like it, it it it's i'd say the theme that runs through this conversation we're having intentionality where like i i mentioned that in the pop culture in my generation the one before it probably the one before that the person that was the caretaker in a romantic relationship has always been depicted as the female like look we need to talk that's what a boss does and of course that's that's what they're pushing this uh circular square of the female boss at all levels of life at your job in relationships in homes whatever it's it's a joke and it's it's how the devil sowed the disorder i mean that's what the original sin was devil treated eve like the boss um but it's so manly what you two are pitching. It's so radically simple and so manly to just be like, it is what I was saying too. It's what I was complaining of. Like the father has to say, look, I know you had a bedtime, whatever, like normally when you're younger, but you know, stay up. We need to have a talk. Hey, let's, let's, um, yeah, it's, it might be 10 on a school night, but this one place is still serving malts until we could, we could still go here. Let's have a talk. You and I need to, get a hold of this thing together. You know, it's not always just, Oh, you get in trouble. So you, you know, it's just uh, the punishment and then go to bed. Um, I like the intentionality. That's, that's my first comment. What is there a reason you guys that I'm not seeing that you guys keep coming back to it? Cause I like it very much. Steven, you both keep talking about intentionality. Would you explain that a little? Yeah. Um, the weekend is meant to be intentional because it's meant to, um, it's meant to be something that he will remember for the rest of his life so that as he continues into his teenage years and his twenties, he can look back and know the exact moment that he became a man. So um, we didn't want this to, it, this, this rite of passage weekend was not meant to be something that was easily forgotten. It was meant to be something that was, not only imprinted in his mind and his memory, but imprinted in his soul, right? That this would, this would change him forever, that he would no longer be a man in his father's eyes, but he would now be a boy. And I think to your point, Tim, you know, being intentional, it requires a few things. For one, it requires sacrifice. So you talked about having to stay up late, you know, maybe missing that episode of Stranger Things that you really want to watch, but no, instead sacrificing your evening to spend that time with your kid, you know, because that's at the end of the day, that's way more important anyways. I'd just sacrifice the sleep and do the extra hour with the kid, then watch it and go to bed super late. <laughs> Man, I'm just joking. Go, go ahead. I'm actually, yeah. Go, go Why on. not? I mean, so it, it requires sacrifice, you know, and, I mean, what better example of sacrifice than Jesus himself, right? Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to be a man. And he paid the ultimate sacrifice, death on a cross. You know, that is a terrible way to die. And that's what he did for all of, all of his children, you know. Um, secondly, being intentional, it requires initiative, right? It's not easy. Um to organize one of these weekends, it takes a lot of work. You have to be focused and you, um, you have to be very uh, 
you have to have a lot of motivation to do it. So yeah. I would say, you know, I think that's why it's so important for a father to do it is because his children are amongst the greatest gifts that a man will ever receive is his children. And so um, to give your son this experience of a rite of passage weekend so that he can know deeply in his heart that he is a man now and not a boy that will have a radical impact on him as he goes through his teens and his twenties. I think the intentionality strikes me, impresses me so much because um, I don't know, autobiographically, I'm a very natural kind of person. So when I do these casts, live streams, and I'm interviewing someone, people always go, oh man, that conversation flowed so nicely. And it's like, yeah, well, I'm inserting questions here and there that I've, I've thought a bit about. And I put them in a place where it will make it look natural. So there aren't a lot of ostensible inflection points because I like things flowy like that. And I also tend to run my relationships that way where I'll try to like, rather than be like, oh, I'm going to make a big Mike Brady moment of something. I'll just insert it into like, Hey, um, my kids all take turns running errands with me. And I'll just kind of insert it into the conversation, which you guys are saying that I like very much this intentionality that I, I give you my word. I'm actually making a mental note is the problem with being natural is it plays stuff down. Whereas what the purpose of what you're doing, the telos, the goal, the intent um, labors to be memorable and memorability is at an inverse relationship, inverse proportion with uh, being natural, you know, where people might not even know what you're doing. I think, I think it serves well a lot of the time to, to just make things look natural. But I like taking a big moment, a big weekend, and being like, boom, this is going to be something you remember for the rest of your life. Rites of passage matter. I, I like that very much, David. I think this is... I don't know. What, so did you institute this? Because you didn't go through something like this. You were just like, this is what I'm going to do for my kid when he becomes a young man, a teenager. Right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I didn't have anything like this. I, um, I didn't really have a father figure in my life when I was growing up. And um, so I always wanted that naturally for when I knew that when I got married, I want to provide that for my, for my children. But of course, there's this mystery. How do you do it without having it? But um, one thing that I admired in my wife's family was, you know, how coherent they were and how, how important the faith was to them and how their dad led them. So, I, you know, I hit a home run in my in-laws and yeah. I would, he was a mentor to me in, in many different aspects of my life. And one was, you know, in fathering. So as I saw my kids, you know, starting to go off to high school and going into their teens, it's like, okay, I really want to connect with them now. Can you help me? Let's put something together what's, that's going to be meaningful to them. So the two of us worked on this idea and, um, and came up with this rite of passage that would be applicable to Catholic boys in California in, you know, in the 2000s. So, you know what I, you know what I like? We just met for the first time in person. Now we, we know some people that, that know some people, but, but we just met. What I like about both of you very much, very sincerely is this. There's nothing manlier. I guess, David, this applies with a special force to you. There is nothing manlier than picking out something that someone does. I was thinking about this watching The Last Dance for the eighth time, the, the Michael Jordan uh, document, 10 part Michael Jordan documentary. There's nothing manlier than picking out what someone besides you does well and incorporating it into your routine, picking out moves like Kobe did to Jordan and just saying, I'm going to add this to my repertoire. It sounds like a little deal, but w women definitely aren't good at it. Sorry, ladies. And effeminate men aren't good at it. Sorry, ladies. <laughs> um, they, they don't do this. Only manly men did do what you did, David, that are like, look, I didn't have this, but I saw that this worked for these other people. I'm taking that play from their playbook. I try to do it all the time. Look at what the left does, the political and cultural left. They always win. Look at what they do. Look at their tactics. Now, we, don't, we, we have the opposite goal, but look at what we always do. We're the great losers. Right-wingers, Christians, we're losers. We lose, they win. That's how they stormed all nine institutions of culture. So look at what they do. Sometimes you're even looking at what your enemy does. 
better than you. And I just, <clears throat> between the intentionality and then the, you can only call it this, this second thing, this applied intentionality. I just, I really, I really admire what you guys are doing here. Can I ask a question though? How, I'll ask this to Steven. This is a, a, a practical one. How does, how is this going to work for most people that don't have a dad like you, Steven? How is it going to work that don't have evidently uncles and a grandpa that that's willing to do this? You know, I mean, the family's broken, dude, but feminism broke the family. Satan used feminism to break the family and it's now broken. And it's at best one in 20. I would remember in like, uh, was it Billy Madison when he goes back to high school and he's sitting at the loser table and the, the two like dweeb kids are like, dude, you might've been cool when you were here 15 years ago, but you're in loser denial. <laughs> I w- I'm, I'm in all these Catholic chats and I always bring this topic up like, okay, here, uh, gat check. Wh- how many of us, uh, how many people here had basically a, a zero contraception home or maybe, you know, we're not talking about a few slip ups, but a home with lots of brothers and sisters, no divorce. I don't care if your dad says shit or some other word, but, you know, no taking the Lord's name in vain, which is a mortal sin. Uh, and your dad's the one that, that drags you to the sacraments when you're, when you're 11, 12, 13, and you don't want to go, not your mom. And whereas everyone at the start is like, yeah, my, my household was pretty Catholic. My, my dad was pretty cat. I'm like, okay, but these are elements. You have to pass muster on all of these. Got a big family, no divorce, priest of the home. So, and, and so people are always dropping off. I'm like, you have Bill not loser denial, <laughs> but, but it's, it's not quite one in 20 uh, that, that people, cause I do this. I run this little thing. I, you know, I have this moderate sized channel here. So I'm always, I've always got my finger in the wind trying to check. I taught, high school for eight years, college for two years. I know where I speak and people always start out being like, well, my, you know, my dad, my dad had a lot of natural virtue. I'm like, look, here, here's the most basic. You can't call this over rigorous. My, my litmus test. This is pretty underwhelming as a litmus test. And people always start out with more gusto than whatever. Like how, so how does this, um, the book is called Milestone to Manhood, a Christian rite of passage to help your 13-year-old son, which I like very much that age, make the leap from boyhood to manhood. How does this work for families, for most families that don't have uh, what you had, Stephen? You know, um, ultimately, <clears throat> it takes one good man. So, um, you know, it, and I was lucky that I had my father, who was that man who you're describing, Tim but I also had my grandfather and my two uncles. So I had four good men in my life that put this experience, this rite of passage weekend together for me. Um, to fathers out there, I would say that, um, you know, you have to be very careful about the other men that you surround yourself with. Um, and when you identify the other men that you want to bring on this weekend with you, you need to be looking at men who have the virtues, who are good Catholic fathers in their households as well. Um, So you can be selective. In fact, you should be selective about who you invite um, onto these weekends because you need to be selective about who's going to influence your son growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And if you have to, you can do this on your own, right? I mean, like, like, like Amanda's, if you, if there are no good uncles, no, you know, if grandpa's going to be a deleterious force on the weekend, leave him back. Right. Don't, don't, don't have the kids meet him out at the strip club or whatever. Right. I mean, if, if you, is this, does your system work is what I'm asking David, if it's just one father, he's starting this generational ending the vicious circle, starting a, a, a virtuous circle and is just like, Hey, I'm going to take my son for this rite of passage weekend. Does your book explain how that can be done? If it's just one man, uh, 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 Vox Clementis in deserto kind of thing. Absolutely. Everything's laid out step-by-step step in the book on what to do and how to do it. And, you know, Tim, actually, I was just, uh, spent some time with my mother-in-law this weekend and she was telling me 
a friend of theirs, um, you know, their generation, they give a gift to their grandchildren when they turn 13 and it, they have the resources that they'll take them anywhere that they want to go. So this particular boy wanted to come to California and spend yeah. the weekend at, at his grandfather's beach house. So just the one-on-one, the grandfather and the boy, were gonna, he was going to go through the book with him. So, yeah, it's definitely something that can be done one-on-one. Beautiful. Tim, can I add, um, I would say, you know, in those examples that you provided of a father who, you know, maybe the grandfather is not up to par or he doesn't have the uncles to help support him. It is a good idea to have other guys on the weekend because a 13 year old boy doesn't, in most cases, doesn't really want to take advice from his father. Right. So it is a good idea whenever possible to have other men on, on this trip. But if your family isn't going to, aren't the appropriate people to invite, um, then you need to be looking at who your friends are, right? You can't pick your family, but you can pick your friends. So um, if you don't have a family with high morals, then you need to invite friends from your church community who do have the morals that you want to impress upon your son and invite them instead. You can pick your friends. So you need to pick good, you need to surround yourself and your son with good, holy men. Okay. Uh, that, that That's really helpful. So the I mean, I really encourage people to go, no, no purity spiraling, parish orphans and retrogrades, go to Amazon, bite the bullet and get this unique, unique book, Milestone to Manhood, a Christian rite of passage to help your 13-year-old son make the leap from boyhood to manhood. I find it unusually insightful just from this conversation, Stephen and David Arms, um, do you guys have any, is there any other place that it's, it really serves well to purchase the book or do you have a website or anything? I like you guys a lot. <clears throat> we do have a website. It's uh, milestone to manhood.com all one word. Um, and the only thing I would add is that, you know, if, if you're a single mother um, and you want to give your son a rite of passage, it is totally possible for you to, um, you would just need to identify a good holy man in your life to have a rite of passage for your son. And I would say it, it's probably more important for you to, to organize a rite of passage weekend for your son because he doesn't have a father figure in his, in his household yeah. Um, yeah. than it is for someone who has a father who's going to organize a, a rite of passage for his son anyways. So it's kind of for single for single parent households, for single mothers, it's kind of a catch 22, right? Those are the boys that need a rite of passage the most. They need a man in their life to, right. to tell them, Hey, you're no longer a boy, but you're a man now and start acting like it. But they're the, they're also simultaneously the boys who don't have fathers in their lives. That's, that's true. Always what's, what's needed most is what's lacking most. Uh, total catch 22. Well, okay. So it's milestone to manhood.com. We'll put that in the show notes. Now I, I got to make some plugs on my own here. Um, number one, parish orphans and retrogrades. It, it's a growing audience like this video. Subscribe, please subscribe. Uh, we're trying to hit 50,000 subscribers. Help us make this, make this vision a reality. Uh, we, we'd really, really, <laughs> like to do it. So if you watch this show all the time, don't do like I do to my favorite NBA YouTube channels. And I just watch them without subscribing, subscribe and hit the notification, please. You can help us. That's important. But those of you who come here, you come here for a reason. We're, we're, most, most people are parish orphans and retrogrades. And that means the parish priest, maybe often the household priest haven't conferred what is conferred. This is not just a one-stop shop for Francis is back at it again news. That's not what this channel aims to do. It aims to give sustenance. So we did a, a walkthrough, a free walkthrough last spring, Thomas's Shorter Summa. And we, we have a whole bunch of classes on Retrograde Academy at timothyjgordon.com. What I'm offering now for, for free for those who need it is a walk, an eight-week walkthrough the Baltimore Catechism. We're big homeschoolers and advocates for homeschoolers. This class can be used to bulwark what you do for homeschoolers. So you can, if you have a sixth grader, fine. High schooler, fine. A bunch of adults will join this class. It's eight weeks. 
It's totally free if you need it. We have a rec- recommended donation on DonorBox of 100 for the eight-week class. But if, if you don't have the money, it's fine. It's totally free. Go to timothyjgordon.com and you can register today. This course is going to begin, what, the first Tuesday of September yes, at 7 p.m. CST? Yeah, there's limited spots that we can provide for everybody. So if you want to secure your spot, um, please do do so. Um, you can watch it with the family. So if you sign up, then just gather all the kids and, and everybody around the, the computer screen for this one. And we will record it as well. So if you can't make the classes live and you prefer to watch the recordings, lots of people are doing that as well. Oh, other note, if you're overseas, if you're not in America and you have a hard time signing up for the class, email me at timothyjgordon at timothyjgordon.com and I'll sign you up via email. Yeah, so this is this is going to be beginning in about two weeks and it's it's free for those who need it suggested donation of a hundred bucks those of you who live in blue states still if you can get out get to a red state go to realestateforlife.org to help you do so i move from the bluest of the blue to the reddest of the red i recommend the blood red swath of states from texas to florida go to realestateforlife.org uh steven and david do you guys have any parting shots nothing no thanks thanks for joining me today people uh go to amazon right now if you don't do it now you'll forget to do it so if you liked um the sound of this book milestone to manhood by stephen and david arms then go purchase it right now on amazon.com this is how things don't get uh pushed the cans don't get kicked down the road this way as obama used to always say the scumbag all right god bless you guys and uh, let's, let's love our sons and love our fathers. Let's rebuild. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.